0: you win the race Christ has marked out for you. This is the third episode in a four-part series ruling over our sexuality for God's glory. One of the most profound verses in all of Scripture is Proverbs 4.23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. This episode explains how we need to watch over our hearts in a way that enables us to win the battle with lust. Welcome to season number one, episode number 14 of Mission Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle, and the title of today's podcast is Directing Our Heart Passions to Defeat Lust. It will explain how to guide our heart passions into the channels that will help us succeed in our battle with lust. Number one, the first heart craving that we need to steer is our hunger for intimacy and connection. As we saw two weeks ago, the Apostle Paul's strategy for helping the Corinthian Christians in their battle with lust was to say, make sure your deeper level craving for intimacy is fully satisfied through intimacy with God himself. He wrote to them, You cannot say that our physical body was made for sexual promiscuity. It was made for God, and God is the answer to our deepest longings. Just as Paul recognized the hunger for intimacy beneath sexual sin, Dr. Harry Schomburg, in his book, False Intimacy, makes a compelling case that viewing pornography is a form of false intimacy. He explains, fantasy seems to be much safer than risking emotions in unpredictable relationships and suffering the pain that real intimacy can cause. Acceptance is unconditional. Rejection is not possible. Sex is a conquest, imaginary or real, and abates the terrifying sense of not belonging. Now, I'm not saying that we men see this connection between sexual hunger and our deeper intimacy needs. When I'm hungry for sex with my wife, I want sex with my wife. Nevertheless, making sure our overall intimacy tank is full is a powerful strategy for minimizing our thirst for the muddy waters of false intimacy through sinful sexual pleasure. Here are three ways that our intimacy tank needs to be regularly refilled. First by feasting on the pleasure of knowing God. In Psalm thirty seven four the Psalmist urges us delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The word delight is a synonym for enjoyment. This is a command to get joy out of your walk with God, to make a deliberate choice to enjoy him. It is the command to fill our soul with the joy of knowing and loving the God of the universe. It is a command to imbibe deeply the pleasure of being unconditionally loved by God. Isaiah tells us that our God delights in us as a bridegroom delights in his bride. Scotty Smith knows that feasting on the pleasure of God's love for us would change our lives. And so he asks, what would it feel like in your heart to know that God not only accepts you, but that he richly enjoys you? To know that your company is his pleasure, your fellowship, his joy, your face, his delight. What effect would that have on how you think about yourself, God, and others? Since sexuality grows out of our overall hunger for intimacy, steering our hearts to delight in the Lord is a vital part of winning the battle with lust. But there is a second valuable application of this biblical principle, especially for single men. And that is to avoid social isolation and make sure you're surrounded by close friends especially female ones. As God said after creating Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. Though the eventual way God wants to meet a man's need for companionship is normally through marriage, until then, men still have companionship needs. Having good friendship and fellowship with Christian women is a vital part of filling our intimacy tanks before marriage. It is when we are feeling alone isolated and into ourselves that the temptation to lust, fantasize, and masturbate strike. For a married man, there's a third strategic way he is to direct his heart to make sure his intimacy needs are righteously met, and that is to pursue a passionate romance with your wife. The best defense against sex going outside the marriage is a great offense, keeping romance hot inside the marriage. No couple who walks down the aisle falls out of love on purpose. Nor do couples who maintain a strong romance throughout their marriage do it by accident. It happens through intentionality. Just in time for Valentine's Day, here are four ideas that explain what romance is to a woman. Number one, it begins with a man's willingness to pursue her, even though his very fragile self-esteem is at risk if she rejects his advances. Sometimes even inside marriage, a wife's repeated busy signals can begin to shut down a husband and make it hard for him to pursue romance with her. Furthermore, as we saw in our last episode, our fallen nature tempts both unmarried and married men to retreat to our fantasy world or to pornographic images to find sexual pleasure without the risks and messiness of real emotional engagement with a real woman who can hurt us. But a real man, unless he has the gift of singleness, is one who pursues a real woman, whether it is pursuing a woman to marry him or pursuing the woman who has married him. Number two, romance means pursuing a woman for the purpose of delighting in her. She needs to know that you enjoy her, that you love being with her, getting to know her heart, discovering more and more of her, and feasting your eyes on her inner beauty and outer beauty. Since she needs to know this, it must first be true. If it's not true, you need to settle this issue with God who brought her to you, asking him to make you appreciate, value, and cherish her more. You must tell her she is a delight to you. Words reach her heart. I love the way you laugh. I love your smile. You look beautiful tonight. I love being with you. I love the way you explain things so well to the kids. I love the feel of your smooth skin. Well, for the old folks, you still have what it takes to light my fire. Number three romance means making her feel special as your sweetheart. She is special because you have chosen her from among all the women on planet earth to be your sweetheart. Romance is making her feel special, pampered like the princess that she is. Santa and Miller in their book, how to romance the woman you love, right from our survey, we learned that every woman needs to feel appreciated, wanted and loved. As long as he shows me that I'm special No matter where we are or what we're doing, that's romance. Cards, foot rubs, affection, love notes, a relaxing bubble bath to candlelight while you put the kids to bed. Anything you can do to pamper her and make her feel special is romance to her. Number four, romance means connecting with her. This is the part that I like the most. We need to realize, however, that women are hardwired to crave emotional connection before they want sexual connection. Barbara Rosberg writes, Men, your sex drive is connected to your eyes. You become aroused visually. Your wife's sex drive is connected to her heart. She is aroused only after she feels emotional closeness in harmony. Romance for her is being in love with her best friend. And best friends laugh, do fun things together, and have long heart-to-heart talks. When it comes to understanding his wife's romantic desires, a wise husband follows this rule. Always touch her heart before touching her body. So sexual temptation attacks at the level of our heart. So we've been looking at a vital strategy to make our hearts more resistant to those attacks by satisfying our heart hunger for intimacy with God close friends especially when single and by the intentional pursuit of romance with our wives now a second way that we need to direct our heart is into a channel called hatred we need to train our hearts to hate sexual sin this command is given by Paul in Romans 12:9 abhor what is evil abhor means to hate to loathe, to detest. Webster says abhor implies a deep, often shuddering repugnance. The reason to hate sin is because sin destroys. Steering our heart to hate sexual sin is to think from time to time about the price tag of sexual sin. Joe Dallas, who led the Everyman's Battle workshop, reminds us, you should know by now that sexual sin ravages everyone connected with it. If you're entertaining lust, you're dancing on a cliff. Take concrete action now while you can. James 1.15 says, Lust, when it is conceived, brings forth sin, and sin brings forth death. Here's a short catalog of some of the costs of sexual sin. It, brings guilt, which drives me away from God, who is the answer to my deepest longings. Next, sexual sin grieves the Holy Spirit and wounds the heart of our Lord, who said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Next, sexual sin takes us down a path that often deeply hurts those we love most. I know a man who had a one-night stand with a work associate While away on business, it cost him having his children in his home the rest of his life. When he confessed his affair, his wife filed for divorce, leading to splitting the custody of the children. What a price his children paid, and he paid, for a few moments of illicit pleasure. Next, surrendering to lust inflames our sexual desires, making it harder to resist next time. The more we sinfully indulge our sexual appetite, the stronger the appetite becomes. Be like satisfying your thirst in the ocean with salt water. Next, studies universally show that couples having regular sex before married are more likely to divorce than those who don't. Next, the use of porn trains us to separate sexual pleasure from heart connection with a real woman. It trains us to make sex with our wife or future wife unfulfilling for them. Next, repeated exposure to pornographic images deadens the heart. Like a computer virus that has the ability to hide its presence from the user while it systematically destroys the hard drive, sexual sin dulls the conscience while it systematically ravages the heart. The blessing of the pure in heart, said Jesus, is their ability to see God. Similarly, the curse of sexual impurity is losing our spiritual perception. Next, every return to sexual sin takes us closer to sexual addiction. Over time, illicit sex creates a craving that the body can't do without. His brain is actually reprogrammed to crave sexual pleasure. Once stimulation occurs, the body demands sexual fulfillment as the addiction grows. However, it takes ever more erotic images to get the same result. A bloated sexual appetite demands more and more to be satiated. The body is hooked. Slavery is in sight. The price tag of sexual sin is so high. How can we not hate it because of the way it destroys? Now, before moving on, it's important to note that hating our sin is not the same thing as letting Satan, the accuser of the brethren, heap shame on our shoulders over past sin. To the contrary, hating sin is cooperating with the Holy Spirit to recognize the cost of yielding to future sin. So beating lust requires steering our hearts into valid intimacy connections and into a hatred of sexual sin. There is a third pathway into which we need to direct our hearts, the path of heart trust in God to be the one to make our sexual appetite be satisfied. Paul devoted the first 11 chapters in Romans to explaining God's gracious, merciful plan of redemption. Then chapter 12 begins by saying, the only reasonable response to God's astonishing grace is to put my body and its desires on the altar. Romans 12 says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Our God is worthy of our trust. We want to satisfy our sexual desires when and how we want regardless of the promptings of God's spirit in our conscience. But trusting ourselves, like worshiping any idol, is stupid. God wants our happiness and pleasure far more than we do. His path leads to life. Ours leads to death. Psalm 34 urges us to trust God, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I didn't get married till I was 31, and when it came to my sexuality in my single years, I claimed that verse a lot, trusting God to provide the woman of his choice at some point. We need to take our desire for sexual fulfillment to God. As we saw two weeks ago, scripture seems to go out of its way to tell us how positively God, the creator of sex, views righteous sexual pleasure. In Proverbs 5, he commands married couples to get drunk with sexual pleasure. God is neither a prude nor a cruel father who wants to torture men with sexual cravings they can't righteously satisfy. So here's what maybe it looks like, to build a heart trust in God to be the one to satisfy the sexual desires he put in us. If married, add an intoxicating love life to your prayer list. Proverbs 5.19 says, this is God's will for married men. Why not pray according to God's will? If you're feeling deprived, take that concern to God. Pray for wisdom to have a careful, honest discussion explaining your sexual needs to your wife. By the way, there's a booklet on our website called Intimacy, God's Design for Marriage, Three Conversational Dates to Recover Intimacy in Your Marriage, which Sandy and I made in the, wrote in the process of working through some of our misconnect. Next, if you are single, you know that God's will is not for you to burn with unfulfilled sexual passion because God says so in 1 Corinthians 7, 9. So take your desire to be married to God and remind him of what he has said. Next, if you're single and feeling sexual desire, ask God to help you direct it into righteous channels. The thought that sexual release is the only way to quench that thirst when there is no righteous way to quench it is a lie. Remember that your craving for sexual pleasure is often tied to other cravings in your heart. God can meet the root desire in another righteous way that satisfies the true hunger. Trust him to do that, And if you mess up, which we all do, trust Him to forgive you. In summary, whether married or singled, ask God to be the one to see that your sexual intimacy needs are met in His way. He is worthy of your trust. To summarize, in this episode, we saw the value of preemptively directing our heart into channels that will strengthen us against the attacks of lust. First, we need to satisfy our heart craving for overall intimacy by delighting ourselves in the Lord, pursuing meaningful friendships with both men and women, especially if we're single, and if married, pursuing passionate romance with our wives. We also saw the need to steer our hearts into hatred of sexual sin because of its destructive power, and into a heart-driven trust of God to be the one to make sure our sexual appetite is satisfied. For further thought, one, is there anything you need to do to preemptively make sure your general intimacy tank is full? Two, if you were trying to explain to a brother why we should learn to hate sexual sin, what would you say? Number three, what's the toughest part about entrusting your hunger for sexual pleasure to God? Because our sexuality flows from our hearts, the battle with lust can only be won by battling at the level of the heart. So next week, we will look at how to apply the command to watch over our hearts with all diligence in five specific ways to help us protect our hearts from the pull of lust. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission to honor Christ with their lives.